Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation is driven by one goal, housing affordability for all. They're about solving housing affordability together. CMHC offers supply-oriented programs, funding programs, market intelligence, research, data, and a team dedicated to push the boundaries of housing innovation. Visit cmhc.ca to learn more about how you can play a role in their ambitious goal that by 2030, everyone in Canada has a home that they can afford and meets their needs. CMHC helps make housing affordable in many ways. Learn more about Canada's national housing strategy, funding, research, and so much more at cmhc.ca. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast dedicated to the issues surrounding homelessness and the incredible experts making a difference in the lives of homeless people. Remember to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening and share it with a friend. Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. As always, we have an awesome guest uh, to chat with today. And we're so fortunate that across the country, around the world, we have great people doing great work that are willing to actually come in and talk with us. Why is it coming, you know, virtually chat with us uh, on the podcast? But before we get to that awesome guest, I want to tell you a little bit of what's happening at CAEH and Blue Door. As you know, we work together to bring this podcast to you. CAEH, Community Alliance and Homelessness is always doing awesome stuff. Uh, and, and let me just kind of tell you a little bit of what's happening there. Uh, CEH, they're continuing to work alongside their vote housing partners to encourage immediate and meaningful action through the upcoming federal budget uh, in order to address the housing and homeless crisis in Canada. And there's a massive crisis. If you don't know that, you have not been listening to the show. Shame on you. Uh, right now, we're watching out for the upcoming budget announcement and pushing a major investment to go towards affordable housing. So stay tuned for that. Thank you to the folks at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness for the work you're doing uh, at Blue Door right now. Uh, lots of stuff happening. Very exciting. We have a construction social enterprise called Construct that's been operating for about a year and a half now. Uh, and we just got news. We, we generally operate in uh, York and Durham. And it looks like we might be sliding over a little further west. Uh, so, so if you think of, for those of you not familiar with the GTA, you have Toronto. On top of Toronto, you have York Region, uh, and to your east, you have Durham, and to your west, you have Peel. It looks like Construct is going to be moving into Peel and working a little bit with Humber College there as well. So exciting times as that construction social enterprise continues to grow and help prevent homelessness. And I could talk about Construct all day, but I'm not going to because that's not the purpose of this podcast. Let's get to today's guest because uh, she is awesome today. With me, I have Katie Burkholder Harris. Yes, Katie Burkholder Harris. And, and, you know, I think, you know, you see a lot of, uh, like, Michael J. Fox, a lot of uh, Hollywood stars who go with the three names. Um, Katie is a star in our sector. So, of course, the three names. 
She is the Executive Director at the Alliance and Homelessness Ottawa. Prior to this, she was working at a national level as a policy analyst with Reaching Home, the federal government's homelessness partnering strategy. And I, I'll tell you this to just interrupt this bio for a second to say, the policy analysts are always who I go to for the right information, right? You might be talking to your minister and they always look over at the policy analysts and say, hey, tell me where to go here. So you might as well start there too. So she did important work there. Uh, previously, she worked as a systems planner with the Canadian Observatory and Homelessness, another good friend of the podcast. Uh, and, and really, if the, the best of the best research across Canada around the world has been done by the Homeless Hub and the Observatory. Um, and spent a number of years working as a project manager for A Way Home Ottawa in preventing and ending youth homelessness. And I'm familiar with her work there too. Having worked as a frontline mental health worker, Katie has a strong understanding of some of the challenges that people living on the streets face. Motivated by a desire to see larger systems change, Katie is energized by engaging and mobilizing new stakeholders towards the goal of safe and affordable housing for everyone uh, in our community. And man, you're energizing me just with this bio. Katie, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. We ask a standard question and there is no standard answer because it's very personal to everyone uh, who comes on the show. It means something a little different, but let's find out what it means to you. What does home mean to you? Yeah, I was thinking about this a lot because so often the answer is the people, right? Like home is about family or it's about the people and community that you're with. And so I think of that and it's, it's the combo of community and it's the combo of having a space that I can retreat to. Um, and so much of what I think I'm able to do in the world and be engaged uh, is it happens because I actually have a home base to come back to and know that when I make mistakes in the real world, I can come home and it's a space where there's no judgment, right? And you can just be yourself uh, and let your guard down. I think that's something that's so valuable and, and every person needs that and has a right to that. Yeah, you know, it's as always, we, we get great answers around this. And if I hear you correctly, it is just that center keeps you centered. It's your center. It's a place to return back to, right? It's stability. So very, very cool. And it's all of that to, to so many people. Uh, so we're going to talk about the awesome work that you're doing with your team, uh, of course, but let's start with defining. We, we wanted to talk a lot today about rent evictions and we hear that term a lot, um, but let's, let's talk about what, for, for people that may not know, what is the rent eviction and, and why is it such a focus for an homelessness Ottawa? Yeah, so a rent eviction is basically, I mean, there's legal and illegal rent evictions, but a rent eviction is when your landlord says, hey, I need to renovate the building, so you may need to move out for a time period. Um, and you do have some legal rights within that, but a lot of people, depending how long the renovation is going to be, they often say, I'm just going to move. Like, it's not worth kind of trying to find another place in the interim. Um, and so that's something that we are hearing and seeing an increase in in the last number of years. Um, and I think the really important number I always keep in mind is across Canada, it's 15 to 1. We're losing 15 affordable units in the private market for every one purpose-built uh, affordable unit. And that number is startling. And what I think is part of that phenomenon is very much to do with rent evictions. Um, so that's, that's really where we want to talk about 
permanent solutions to the homelessness crisis, and we know that permanent solutions start with housing, um, housing both nonprofit and also in the private sector. Um, so for this piece, tenants' rights are so important, and how can we actually make sure we're protecting them better? And that's a large part of, of what you do, right, is that educational awareness piece, because you're, wow, that 15 to 1 is so disturbing, because we hear the focus across the country, build more, a thousand more units, that's great, that's great, and they're huge numbers. What you don't hear about are the numbers that we're losing daily yeah. that bite into all these new units, right? As you said, 15 to 1. Yeah. yeah, and Toronto actually, I think, has a really good phrase for it. They call it fixing the leaky bucket. So it's like we can build and build and build and fill that bucket with all the water slash housing units we want. But if we don't actually stop the hole, we're never going to be able to catch up. And so, you know, in a private market where prices have gone up in Ontario by 26 percent just in the last year, that doesn't include the first year of COVID. Um, you know, landlords are in a context where there's an incentive to sell the building. There's an incentive to renovate. People who used to be able to buy homes can't. So they now are renting and can pay higher rents. And so that's so much of what we're starting to hear anecdotally that's happening. And actually the report your renovation survey that we've put out as an agency is really trying to get more data on it and understand across Ontario, how common is this? We hear it from everyone, even up north. Um, and yet we don't really have a ton of numbers, especially for the sort of gray area evictions. You know, renovations are legal, um, but there's a lot where I think people are getting evicted under sort of false pretenses, you know, oh, my family's moving in and then somebody sees the unit on the market, you know, eight months later, which is illegal. And so things like that and sometimes intimidation tactics, that's the kind of stuff we want to understand. It's like this gray legal area that will never get to the landlord tenant board. So how do we actually find out more about that and bring that forward, especially to the federal housing advocate to say, hey, people's rights are being violated. So what do we do to really make sure we're protecting tenants better? Yeah, you know, I remember having a conversation um, with someone involved with the Toronto uh, Community Housing, and they were saying that so many, and they were, they're, they're, it was Cynthia Summers, and, and she, I think, was the advocate for if uh, you had tenant issues, you, they were kind of like a separate body you could go to. And she was saying, you'd be surprised at how many people, you know, not just with Toronto Community Housing in general, when they get a eviction notice, they go, okay. They, 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 they just yeah. think, well, they're in charge, I have to leave. They don't fight it. Very few actually ask questions or fight it, right? Because they just yeah. assume yeah. they're in the wrong, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's something that, you know, if we have systems where the power is that the bigger system that has more power uh, has all the information and the responsibility is on the little guy, quote unquote, or the person who's in a housing crisis to figure all of this out, go through the legal process, like that's an inequitable system. It's not going to work. And so how do we flop that or flip that? and make sure that the bigger system is in charge of informing people of their rights. And I think we're increasingly in a space where I don't think it's fair to put that on landlords either. It needs to be municipalities, it needs to be provinces, you know, to really make sure that it's not just about, oh, we just need to provide more information by people seeking it out. But actually, you know, in one, one case in Burnaby, they've actually made it so that the city has to provide the information as soon as a renoviction or an eviction notice is filed. Um, and so that kind of stuff where the onus is on government, it's not on either the private landlord or on the person mm. to figure it out. So that flip of the power, I think, is really important to try and get ahead on this issue. Yeah, you're talking about systems change. Absolutely. Um, so we, we can talk 
kind of from an organizational point of view, here's what's happening, what's going on. Do you have any stories from Ottawa where you are about rent eviction so people can kind of wrap their heads around something that's, that's truly happened? I mean, I think when I worked frontline, you heard about these stories all the time of people and exactly what you say, people just leaving, right? They get so distressed, they get that notice, they don't know what legal rights they actually have. Um, and so they leave. But those were often folks who are pretty low income. And I think what's been quite startling is in areas that are gentrifying. I've heard now from federal government workers in the Privy Council office. So like the head of government um, saying, oh, this is happening in my building. Um, and, you know, I'm OK financially. But the woman who's on a pension beside me, um, a senior's pension, actually is, is going to be unable to stay in the building because of some of this happening. Um, so that was a renovation story where they wanted to. Um, have renovations and you know the move would have just been too much we've also heard stories of landlords not really sending an eviction notice but saying things like oh I'm gonna sell I'm going to sell so you should probably move out you should really look at other places Um, some places where especially when people are working from home uh, you know, we're going to enter, you know, twice a day to investigate the renovation or to in- investigate the reno that we want to do. And so when you start to have a landlord every single day and you're trying to do meetings and, you know, be on Zoom, that's actually a threat to income as well. Um, we've also heard stories of just overnight increasing amenities significantly. So all of a sudden your laundry costs three times as much or your parking spot costs three times as much. And I think what's so startling to me is that this has really crept into people who are making good incomes, people who never would have saw themselves in this boat. Mm. Um, even when I've talked to reporters about it, I've now had two reporters say this is actually happening to me, which just kind of boggles the mind in terms of thinking about how far reaching this really is. But I also think that means that there's some growing public awareness and hopefully some growing political will around the issue because people are starting to see how it's impacting them. Well, I keep using the same survey over and over just because it blows my mind, right? So the Globe and Mail had a piece out a couple of weeks back that said, if we're looking at 30% of your uh, household income that should be used towards, that's kind of the benchmark for housing, uh, in the GTA, you'd have to make $90,000 a year. $90,000. I mean, come on. And if you look at OW, maybe like Ontario Works, you might have $8,000. Uh, ODSP, probably about $13,000. Like such a gap, right? And you're saying, I love what you're saying there too, is that people that were, were not feeling this before are starting to uh, feel it. The, the red evictions I'll share with you. So I have a sister um, in Niagara and she's been kind of in and out precariously housed almost her entire life, the mental health and addiction uh, challenges. And she, uh, what, what happened to her about a year or so ago is the landlord came to her. Um, and again, she just doesn't have the awareness education, didn't reach out, got her to sign something. And, and she said, he's such a nice guy. He's giving me $6,000 for me to leave. I said, not a nice guy. He's paying you off. Like he's, you know, but it was too late. Like she signed the paperwork, she did that, and then was really upset about having to leave and say, well, that's not fair. What can I do now? Uh, yeah. Didn't know her rights. Didn't, you know, uh, in Niagara, very tough to get in to see, um, to, to get legal help, pro bono legal help. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, too, is I think for a lot of people like my sister, very intimidated mm-hmm. by landlords, by legal representation. Like the lawyers, okay. I can see me, I'm not worth, I can't, you know. So it, it's... What we're talking about, we need some total system change, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge challenge, and I think ultimately, like that story is repeating itself so much. And like 
I think of even then in a context, what if I don't speak the language fluently? What if I, you know, calling bureaucracy in general is a bit of a nightmare. I freak out when I call Rogers, like, like having to be on the phone and go through all of those things to try and get any access. And then when you look at what's happening with the landlord tenant board and you're starting to hear stories more and more of people getting disconnected digitally because it's all gone digital and literally getting evicted because their phone, you know, messed up. And how many of us have been a Zoom meeting where nothing worked and our sound didn't work? And just when your housing is on the line, the severity of what's happening is so scary for folks. Um, we just cannot continue to leave it up to the private sector um, to enforce a human right. Like they're, they're not able to do it. It's on government. So how do we put the onus back for that system to change on government? Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project, or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Well, you brought up something that I had, it hadn't even crossed my mind when we talk about, because we talk about, um, you know, people losing their homes and of course, uh, you know, very, very tragic and it upends their, their life. But so many people working from home now, another element of that, as you said, income security, if your income's tied to, you need a place to work from and that's it. Right. We never, you know, I didn't have to really, we were talking about that two years ago and that, that leads me to, so you think the pandemic has played a part in renovations climbing? Yeah. And, and this is the thing that I don't fully understand at this point, but I mean, we saw house prices drop almost immediately, I guess now two years ago, almost to the day when things started the, you know, the market crashed, everything was going on. And then this strange phenomenon of all of a sudden things started to escalate like mad and, and, you know, housing regional spots where housing had always been affordable because people were moving because they were working from home. So you mm -hmm. had a Toronto buyer move to, you know, Halifax or to a smaller city on the East Coast. You know, St. John, New Brunswick has seen massive increases in, in housing costs. And so it's like nowhere has become, nowhere is like immune to this anymore. And I think that's what's so striking is people really can't find places to live that are affordable. And to your point about that 30% thing with, with the market, what's so weird to me is that we've now attached that to average market rent. And yet we know that average market rent is completely disconnected from reality. Like there is no relationship to reality in what an average market rent is because wages have stagnated. We know that. Um, but when you increase market rent by 26 to 50% in like a two year period, how on earth is somebody able to afford that? Right? Like it's just, everyone knows it's lucrative, but how on earth do we get to that point where we can make sure people have housing and homes in that context? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's such, such a gap and it's interesting too. I mean, some of the stuff that is not, a, well, maybe it is a little illegal, but, but that you would never call them on that too. You're right. You brought up such a good point where there's sometimes with, with uh, my telecom company that I'm like, you know what, I'm going to pay, I have to make a phone call so I don't pay an extra $20 a month, but I almost don't like, I hate calling so much yeah. that I, I might be actually willing 
to suck that up for a month or so. Like it, it's, <laughs> and not everyone has that. Like, like they have to do that. But it, it's funny talking to your landlord how much you'll put up with. I remember we, uh, so I rent um, in the city of Toronto and uh, we paid a $500 deposit that he's not allowed to ask for. But what we did know, if we didn't pay that, there's two other people that would take this place at the same time that would yeah. pay that. Or, or if he said, you know, we've heard about, you know, pay six months rent in advance. Well, you can't like, that's ridiculous. Who has, you know, that kind of, but someone will. And then they jump yes. you. And so when you're working, like we do at Blue Door, with vulnerable people who there's, yeah. you know, we're, we're trying to scrape together first and last of, you know, yeah. rent they can't afford to ask for that. It puts them at such a uh, yeah. unfair, uh, like a disadvantage, right? Yeah, and I think your point is really good in that I, while I love rent subsidies and I think they're such an important tool, extra money is is never going to compensate for lack of regulation of the market, right? Like if we yeah. do not regulate, all the extra money in the world isn't going to help. In fact, it can jack up prices. And so while it's a really important tool for people exiting homelessness to get into housing, you know, in this market, it's becoming less effective because we just can't compete with other people who can do that $600 deposit or five, six months advance rent, you know? Um, so I think that's why it's gotta be that balance of regulation, um, which I know is not, not a sexy topic for a lot of folks in the private sector, I get it. Um, but, you know, the impetus there is to make profit. There's, that's the reality, but you know, the impetus for government, government is to really, it's to protect citizens. So how do we do that best and, and make sure there's a balance in, in that? That's right, right? If we're gonna protect this human right to housing, there's gonna be some regulation in there. And listen, I think that, you know, there's still, you can still make some profit and there's still, but there's the yeah. balance, right? It's not the extreme yeah. profits that we're seeing now. We've commodified housing so much that, you know, and there's other ways to invest your money, but right now, because of what's happened, right? It's yeah. interesting because when we, like, so, so we're looking, uh, we have to look past the private market at Blue Door to house people. And, and we're looking at, uh, as many are becoming more and more uh, acquiring housing yeah. because we could keep it affordable over the long yeah. run. We're not going to, that's the only way because we can't depend on the private market. It's not working. Uh, you're right. When you, you kind of get those subsidies to pay that market rent, but that keeps going up. And so you have to get yeah. more subs. So where, where is the end game there where we could try uh, and control that a bit more? Um, it was interesting today. I had a conversation uh, with a couple of my board members. We were talking about there's a in Aurora, there's a nineplex in Aurora, Ontario, and the the rents are extremely affordable. But to that fifteen to one you were talking about, uh, the real estate agent we're chatting with, he's like, "Look, uh, Michael, like this is going to be bought up, and they're they're going to do rent evictions because they they see it. Like it needs that. They they can have yeah. that excuse. You're going to get nine. Oh, you're going to lose nine affordable units. They're going to double the rent so they can maximize profit." Right. Yeah. And that's what happens is you're going to have to leave for a while and then you come back and rents this much or whatever. And there's ways around it. How do we keep that? So we're not like, and so talking to my board, we're like, well, we're not really creating new affordable spaces if we were to, to look at ways to keep this. Yeah. But I said, but look at it as prevention because we're yes. preventing homelessness because yeah. these are nine people that will not find this type of rent in yeah. the, you know, outside Anywhere. of this, this unit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Crazy, crazy times, and it just irks me. So we're talking with MPs and others, uh, but I, I digress because this is exciting <laughs> stuff. You talked about your uh, survey, so you, you recently launched Ontario-wide survey around mm -hmm. uh, rent evictions. Can you tell us a little bit about it? What kind of data are you hoping to get, and and, and what's the end game with it? 
Yeah, so I mean, please, everyone who may have experienced this or who knows someone who's experienced this, I ask that you go to reportyourreneviction.ca. Um, it's on the End Homelessness Ottawa website, but we really want to build a data story to match all the anecdotes that we're hearing. So I'm part of the Ontario Alliance to End Homelessness, and you know, we're hearing from legal experts, you know, up north, you know, everywhere across Ontario in small rural communities, just how bad it's getting. Um, but it's hard without the numbers to be able to really push this as a policy plank with government. And so we really want to get more of the data, but specifically on what I would call fraudulent or illegal renovation. So yes, a renovation is technically legal, but there's shady stuff happening. And that shady stuff uh, is those sort of intimidation tactics where you never even get to an official notice. But, you know, these things are being used by landlords and people are getting intimidated. And again, I don't, I don't want to demonize anybody here. I think we're in a market where if I'm maybe somebody who's closer to retirement or this has been a retirement project, let's say I have a building, it's old, it does need maintenance. What's my choice in this market? My choice is going to be to sell because it's going to be a lot more lucrative for me and to have legacy tenants who pay low rents move out. You know, and I think unless we tackle that side of it, it's going to be really challenging. So the survey is to get that data. Um, we wanted to make it Ontario wide, not just Ottawa specific, um, and really start to build that data story. And part of what we're doing is, is partnering with the Right to Housing, the national network, um, with the hopes of starting to bring forward some of these stories with the data um, to the federal housing advocate and start to say, hey, um, here's some numbers for you. Here's some data. These are rights bearers. How do we start to have some of these become cases? I know there's a desire to bring more of those cases forward and really put renovations on the map as a core issue to solving the housing crisis. Um, so that's the goal. And I, I'm asking everyone who knows anyone um, who may have had this happen. You know, it's happened to my own family and friends. Like this thing is real. Um, please, please fill out the survey because we're really trying to have an Ontario-wide picture. Um, and anybody in another province who wants to do it, I mean, we based it on the, the legal process that you would follow in Ontario, but um, feel free to reach out to us and we're happy to share what we, what we have in terms of the structure and all of that. So, mm -hmm. Fantastic. As we know, in this sector, data is power. Because the first question you always get asked if you're looking for funding or action is, well, how big of a problem is it? What are we looking at here? And this is exactly what you could do. If we want this to take, uh, if we want people to take action, we've got to show them this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. This is hurting a lot of people. And, and to that end, anyone who's listening, put that out there. Where can they go actually to, to take the survey and share the survey? Yeah, so if they go to either the End Homelessness Ottawa website, it should be on the main page, front page there. Um, but also reportyourrenoviction.ca should take them straight there. Um, so that's the link and I will get the link to you guys to post uh, as well if you could. Um, but that's that's a spot we'd ask people to go and, and uh, send it to everyone you know that you think. We've been trying to post especially to tenants groups on Facebook um, who have organized and are, are fighting these renovations. And there's other surveys kind of similar. They're not Ontario wide. Um, but they're more focused on trying to kind of navigate if there's a landlord that's done this consistently um, to try and kind of warn other tenants from renting. So I think really good work happening there. And we're more focused on the data side to be able to bring it at that policy level um, to, to the national scene as well, knowing that Ontario is, um, you know, population-wise the biggest province. So, Yeah, I mean, and we've heard time and time again on this podcast or from experts 
um, listen, homelessness is the result of bad policy. Getting out of it, we have to have good policy. This will help yeah. influence that. It's, it's a step forward. I want to change gears just a little bit because you're doing so many great things. We don't want to miss out on anything. Let's talk about another project you're working on, a citywide campaign called Starts With Home. What can you tell us? So starts with home. Um, I'm not gonna lie. We kind of shamelessly stole from Vote Housing. <laughs> we were like, "That's a really good model. Maybe we could do." But weirdly, we had started the work about a year in advance in terms of a group of advocates on housing in Ottawa coming together and saying, "Could we get more strategic in advance of the October 2022 municipal election? Like, what can we do as a local, you know, group of advocates focused on affordable housing?" Um, to really drive the message home and to unify the sector in what we're trying to communicate. And then Vote Housing came along and we were like, well, that's a great model. But before that, we'd started to focus on what are the key messages? At the very least, what are the common key messages we can get to our political candidates um, to really get them to focus on strategic, big impact actions for the next council to implement? So um, that took about a year to come up. We started with 110 asks. <laughs> we narrowed it down to six. So I feel like we did a good job of editing. <laughs> it's a lot of work, but you know, a lot of collaboration and expertise that came into that. And so um, we got to a point where we developed kind of three core pillars. One is exactly what we're talking about, stop the loss. How do we stop the loss of affordable housing? And one of them is about tenant protections and increasing that. And the other action is about having a nonprofit acquisition strategy. So when a big building is up for sale and it's aging rental stock, we know the story. The story is that probably it's going to get sold, it's going to get demolished or mm -hmm. renovated, and higher paying tenants are going to come in. So how do we make sure that the city actually has a preemptive right to first look at a building and purchase before it goes to the private market? And if the municipality can do that and then turn it over to nonprofit housing. Um, so that's a really big piece. It's happening in Montreal. They've just started this. Um, but that's all under just stopping the loss of affordable housing. The next one, not a shocking concept, create more affordable housing. That's sort of our big pillar. And some of that's with inclusionary zoning. But the key piece of that being income-based not market rent based, but that it's 30% of a, a household's income, whatever that income is. Um, and knowing that there's a balance there too. But then the other piece of that is just wanting to see our city double the amount that they've committed to in the 10 year plan from 500 to 1000 households housed per year. Um, so that requires obviously more investment, more building. Um, but those are kind of the two planks under that. And then our third pillar is preserving the quality. And of that, you know, there's landlord licensing as one piece, but one that I'm most excited about is really following the federal model um, of having a housing advocate at the local level. So we've called it a housing ombudsperson, mm -hmm. um, but really baked into the municipality across kind of all programs. And what would it look like if planning, the planning department had to assess with the lens of housing as a human right whenever they're approving projects? Is this going to displace people? Because if it's going to displace people, that has real ramifications. And if we've committed to having housing as a human right be baked into our policies, we wouldn't have a Herringate. And that is a stain on Ottawa. I think it was the largest mass eviction, certainly in Canada, if not in North America. Um, 500 individuals, 300 families. And it was wow. cheap rental housing. And they basically, Timber Creek, now Hazelview, um, basically, those tenants have all been displaced and they built luxury condos there. They're sort of offering some new affordable, but it's tied to market rent, completely detached from people's incomes. Um, and 
that should not happen. Like that should not happen. Ottawa is like the richest city in Canada. I think the highest median income. You know, it's unacceptable that this is happening in our communities. Um, so we really want to focus on making housing as a human right be baked into how we do the work, no matter where we are. Um, so yeah, that's the hope and our goal is to get 20,000 endorsers uh, who are voters in Ottawa. Um, so I'd ask everyone, if you're from Ottawa and you're listening, go to startswithhome.ca, endorse the campaign. We need to show that political muscle to the candidates running for election, commit to these things and build on it. This is just the base, in my opinion. Um, so please, please, please support us uh, if you're from Ottawa and we want to be able to show that message to candidates that this city cares deeply about affordable housing. We launched with about 100 organizations as well and we had everyone from community organizations working with folks who are homeless to the Board of Trade and tourism, Ottawa tourism, because they all see the connection to affordable housing. I can't hire anybody who can afford to live in my city. That was what the Board of Trade told us. And so they see how important this is to be able to have housing as the base in our community. Very exciting. And I know you have some good, you have some good people on council there too, that hopefully are able to stay in and keep pushing this forward. It will drive this that uh, have, have made some good waves. So that's, that's incredible. That's good. And, and you know, all the steps you were talking about, very, very exciting. Um, you mentioned quite a few different things. If someone wants to connect with you, Katie, or is interested in learning more about the work at N Homeless Ottawa, where can they go? What are some options? So our website is, is www.endhomelessnessottawa.ca. Um, again, super long. I realized that. And then our emails, <laughs> my email is k-a-i-t-e at endhomelessnessottawa.ca. So people are free to reach out to us. Um, the contact information is on our website as well. Um, but happy to connect with folks across the country who are doing this great work. And I've learned so much from the colleagues around the country who are invested in this and have taught me so much about this. It's interesting you said before, hey, we took this idea, we went, listen, I think every, every, good, idea, every good idea has come from something like that, and I think we, yeah. we, that's the beautiful thing about our sector is, hey, it's worked well here, why not take that? Yeah. Our construct program at Blue Door was because of choices for youth and building up in Toronto and purpose built in Manitoba. Uh, much of what we do is modeled after someone else, right? So that's what we should be doing. If it works somewhere else, why would you not take that yeah. and then run with it? So you're doing important, 100%. awesome work. We need some engagement, uh, not only from the Ottawa community. We heard today too that you know across Canada uh, on the rent evictions piece. If you want to reach out and find out more, but specifically in Ontario, uh, go and and you know share your stories, share your information. So we, we build up this database, we can make policy change, we can make great change happen so we can prevent and end homelessness. Uh, Katie, thank you so much for all you and your team are doing. Uh, I know it's not a huge team. How big is the team? I like to call us small but mighty. There's three of us. There used to just be one of us, but we've been fortunate to grow a little bit in the last year. So. Well, that's, that's yeah. what we call a tripod. And if one of those legs comes out, you know what happens to a tripod? The whole thing falls down. Three people working hard. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for all you're doing. Thanks so much, Michael. Take care. Awesome. Well, I really, really enjoyed uh, today's show. I mean, I always do. But uh, you can see I was getting a little excited. It's not just the coffee, the four or five <laughs> cups of coffee that I had this morning. It is. This is important stuff. I mean, we're fighting, fighting, fighting to add more units. 
And at the same time, you know, we've got a, the, the leaky bucket piece that uh, yeah. Katie was talking about is, is we've got to stop new people from coming in. Uh, our, sorry, we have to stop losing units that are already there, right? We have to redefine a bunch of things. We have to make processes easier uh, and change systems. We've got a lot of work to do, but we have good people like Katie and her team making that happen. Another awesome guest on, on the way home. Uh, keep listening. Share it widely. This is brought to you by the good folks at Blue Door and the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. And we will see you next week on the way home. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. 